What happens after we die? Chip Ingram is our guest this week discussing everything that awaits those who die in Christ. It's a great episode. It's episode 45 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Thanks for tuning in to episode 45 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week our guest is Chip Ingram. Chip is the senior pastor of Venture Christian Church in Los Gatos, California, and the CEO and teaching pastor of Living on the Edge, an international teaching and discipleship ministry. We invited Chip to talk to us about his new book coming out on heaven, and this is a fascinating conversation. I really think this is a conversation that you'll refer back to throughout your ministry as you're helping people transition from this life to the life to come. And now, here's our conversation with Chip Ingram. Well, Chip Ingram, welcome to the Churchlers Podcast. It's such a privilege to have you on the show again. Well, thanks so much, Andrew. It's great to be here. And yeah, you were uh, on the show with Francis Chan last fall, and you are the, officially the first person to uh, to be invited back and be on the show again. So congratulations. I am honored. I mean, <laughs> really honored. Thanks so much. Yeah, and we are so excited to talk. We, we have a great topic to talk about today. We're talking about heaven, and I know it's something that has been on your heart uh, that you've you've preached on, and that you have a new new book coming out on heaven. Talk to us about kind of your journey with with your faith and how how God has moved this precious doctrine kind of up in in your radar as a pastor. You know, that's really a great question. I didn't grow up as a Christian, so heaven for me was you know I guess you play a harp, get wings. Everyone has a white robe, and I guess you don't have feet because there's always white smoke, you know, when pictures in heaven. And, and then I trusted Christ, and so I read through the New Testament a few times and, and got an idea, maybe that it's a big worship service from the end of uh, Revelation, and that that it was by grace that you got there. And then as I grew as a, a Christian, as a pastor, I really came to a, a watershed moment. And just candidly, for other people, I did not study heaven thoroughly. And so a lot of my general thoughts about heaven were as much informed from culture or more than the Bible. Uh, I mean, I knew Jesus was there. I, you know, studied the basic passages, but my dad was dying and um, he was a World War II vet. He had been through horrendous things. Guam, Iwo Jima uh, was wounded, came out of that radical uh, conversion in his 50s, but a tough, hard guy who could just marine. And he's 85 years old, and um, he looks at me and goes, Chip, I know I believe in Jesus. He's changed my life. And then he looked at me and I said, I'm afraid to die. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, I think he was more honest than a lot of Christians. And so I, you know, I gave him, I'm a young pastor. Well, Dad, you know, here's stuff. Jesus is there, et cetera, et cetera. And what I saw the look in his eyes was I think a lot of Christians experience, Andrew, is it'd be like this brochure. And on the front of the brochure, it says, Jesus is there. It's going to be great. And then you open the brochure and it's basically blank. You know, here's a bunch mm. of clouds and a couple of harps. And I think the unknown, it was like, you know, I know Jesus is there, but like, is this a long church service or, you know, the complete unknown or maybe the misconception that you can't know much. And to make a very long story short, I realized then I couldn't articulate and I rarely ever thought about heaven. And so I began to study. Uh, my, I got some good information from my dad. This is what heaven's like. His wife began to you know, read it to him day after day after day. 
And uh, to just to, just to end, it was a pretty exciting story, but it really is how heaven became important to me. And um, I got a call from a buddy who uh, found out my dad was dying, and they said, if you want to be here, uh, you better get here right away. And my buddy picked me up and uh, got me to uh, North Carolina in a very fast fashion, went up these back stairs, 1.30 in the morning, and I had one of those, you know, he was really dying, 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 and had one of those bursts of energy, super lucid, just before he died. And we had one of those talks that every son or daughter would long to have with your dad, ask about my family, any regrets he had. And as we're having this great conversation, the the nurse came in and said, Mr. Ingram, I just want to make sure we have all the written documents, but let me be sure you do not want a feeding tube. Uh, You don't want us to take extreme measures to keep you alive. And he turned to her and said, young lady, don't do anything at all that would keep me around here any longer. I know where I'm going and it's exciting and going to be great. And what I realized was when he understood specifics about heaven, uh, it completely changed his perspective. And I think we have a lot of Christians who know it's a good place to go. And many of us, like me, maybe pastors who um, have a general idea, but have no idea that the place that we're going to go is a lot like the earth before there was sin. And there's an intermediate heaven. And um, that what we do on earth has a direct impact on our the quality of our life in heaven. Just a lot of things that I never knew about, Andrew, that uh, have really changed practical ways of how I live. Well, and I think I think that's so powerful to see the power of heaven is that when people uh, that we love and that we care for are transitioning, that one of the ways we can love them is to point them to a very real biblical hope. And there's so much in our culture that, that gets it wrong. Well, I think one of the things that is so challenging for people today is there's there's all kinds of movies about heaven. There's a lot of fictional books about heaven. And it seems like you can kind of find a lot of different people within Christendom who have really different perspectives on heaven. So tell us about how how dangerous that can be with all these different perspectives. Well, I think it creates amazing confusion. And as you know, Andrew, all the, all the research right now is we may be living with the most biblically illiterate I mean, not insincere, but biblically illiterate uh, Christians ever, at least in America. And as a result of that, you know, you know, one person has this view of heaven, another sees this light coming down a tunnel, another has a, you know, it's a dark black tunnel, another Jesus is this, someone else Jesus is that. Uh, another author is that it's a happy place for everyone, regardless of how you live. So I think there's a lot of faulty doctrine that comes out of people unconsciously taking the testimony of children or near-death experiences as the gospel. And so let's be really clear. God can take someone to heaven. He took the Apostle Paul. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He can do whatever he wants anytime. But what we should do is say, what does the Bible actually say? Jesus is the only one that came from heaven. What's the scripture teach? And then use that as like this filter for every testimony, every near-death experience, Everything we ever read should be first, what's the Bible say? And so what I tried to do was make a a short book that is pretty linear that you could just get like, okay, this is what the Bible actually says. This is the litmus test. Now, you know, there's a lot of room for uh, thoughts and speculation, and I wonder about this and I wonder about that, that that, that may be very healthy. But I think this open-ended way that people are looking at heaven where, you know, a million books sold here and this movie here and that movie there, that if you laid them together, Andrew, you would just realize they don't tell the same story. Mm-hmm. And what is, as you talk to people, 
What's one of the biggest misconceptions that you feel people have about heaven? I would say uh, with Christians that it's not very important. Uh, you know, I know I'm going there. That's all that matters. Uh, I think among Christians as well, it's, uh, and even I think we as pastors, because I was certainly guilty, is, well, you can't know that much about it. You know, Jesus is there. There's angels. Uh, uh, you know, your sins are forgiven. You know, no more sorrow, no more pain. You know, that's it. Let's move on. And I think in honest moments, uh, I didn't grow up as a Christian. And so as I was reading through the New Testament and, you know, not knowing much of anything, you know, I just always, I landed on a fee, uh, Revelation 4 and 5 is, I guess, all there is to heaven. And I felt bad about it. And I like a good worship service as much as anyone. But I really thought it'd be kind of boring. You know, I, I mean, I just thought like, wow, I mean, I know God's there and I'm probably missing it and I'm real immature, but like singing forever and ever and ever and ever. And, and, you know, a lot of songs, even a lot of Christian music, it's like, we're going to worship, we're going to worship. But we, we have worship down to like a worship service instead of we're going to worship in heaven like we do on earth. It's a Romans 12, one worship. It's, it's your whole body. When you, when you get to the book of Revelation at the end, uh, there is a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, there is a city. It talks about kings. It talks about nations. It talks about uh, fruit and life and trees and uh, there'll be songs to write and there'll be work to do and there'll be responsibility and I mean it's going to be really if people really want a concrete picture of heaven if they would go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and realize the abode of God which is a great definition for heaven the abode of God when he would spend time with our first parents in the Garden of Eden he created a place where they could thrive with each other create subdue develop and be in intimacy with him the new heaven is going to be on a new earth where all those things are going to be true, but infinitely more so. Mm -hmm. And as you've studied heaven, you, you mentioned some of these amazing things, insights. What's the thing that has kind of excited your heart the most? Like when you think about this is why I'm, I'm really excited about going to heaven, what, what's kind of risen to the top for you? You know, I think what has really risen to the top is how much how I live now matters you know those passages that you gloss over, like store up for yourself treasure in heaven, Jesus, or um, he said to the disciples, their hope was, I've inherited a kingdom. I bestow a kingdom on you now, these disciples, and you'll rule on 12 tribes. Uh, when, when he talks about, you know, you've been faithful with this, now rule over many cities. I mean, the idea that there's going to be learning and growing and these tiny, I call them these tiny foretastes that when I held our first son in my arms after uh, for Teresa and myself and the, the awe that I was in of life between us. And um, I can remember the very first person I led to Christ. Or I remember just a moment with my wife after 20 years of marriage, you know, in a special moment, looking at a sunset in Hawaii, all those little moments of the satisfaction of a goal accomplished, of watching some of my kids grow up and marry well and follow Christ. All those things are these little tiny snapshots. And what I look forward to is that is God's grace saying to me, that's my ultimate intention. You, as you're faithful on earth, I want you to experience that exponentially, infinitely beyond your wildest dreams. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard or entered into the heart of man all that God has stored up for us. And the next verse says, but we have the mind of Christ. But I think it's just, it's a very real place where the deepest longings and desires will be actually fulfilled. 
And there really is a correlation between my faithfulness with my time, talent, treasure, and opportunities now. I didn't think that way. I didn't used to think like that at all. And um, it, it really changed my perspective. Hmm. Yeah, even just as you say that, it's so it's so powerful to just think about all those things together. Um, I know that one of the things that a lot of our listeners, a, a time when they may need to, to think about these things and, and to share them is when um, they're walking with somebody through death. Uh, they might have people in their congregation that are dying and ask about heaven. And I know that you have uh, something that you've prepared that you've called the two-minute drill, where you talk about kind of what those first two minutes after you die will be like. Could you, could you share that with us? Yeah, I will. What I try and do is for, you know, those people who like ESPN, and I, I love watching football, but like most, I don't get to watch too much of it. But on Sunday night, I like to watch the, uh, the two-minute drill. Chris Berman will give you the highlights of every game for the weekend in two minutes. And so I can't develop all the passages, but what I like to do, uh, and I think it's one of the strengths. I think there's every, every book has different strengths. I think one of the strengths of this is that it gives a sort of a linear, clear idea that you can get your arms around. So if everyone would just for the moment listening right now, uh, hypothetically, I, I hope 100%, pretend that when I go five, four, three, two, one, zero at zero, we would all have massive heart attacks. We're followers of Jesus. We love him. We've been sealed with the spirit, saved by his grace. What would happen to us from the moment we die, brain waves stop, heart stops beating, to the moment we go through this entire journey of what the Bible talks about of a new heaven, a new earth. So five, four, three, two, one, zero. We just died. Number one, angels usher our soul to heaven, Luke 16. Two, you immediately enter God's presence. To be absent from the body will be present with the Lord. You do not have a resurrected body, but you're in God's presence. Number three, you're conscious and in command of your faculties, your thinking, your feelings, your speech, and your memories according to Luke 16. Number four, you participate in a magnificent worship service with angels and believers before the throne of God in Christ in Revelation 4 and 5. This is what's called the intermediate heaven. Number five, you are aware to some degree of the activities and the events on the earth. And a lot of speculation here, but all we know is the souls are asking how much longer, Lord? So there's a sense of anticipation of what's going to happen and aware of some level what's happening on the earth how much, I'll let other people speculate, but we know that for sure. Number six, you'll recognize and communicate with believers who preceded you to heaven, according to Luke 9. Uh, number seven, you'll be uh, joined by all living Christians when Jesus raptures the church from the earth, and you'll be judged for your rewards at the Bema seat or judgment seat of Christ, and then you'll enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb with Christ and his bride, the church, 2 Corinthians 5, Revelation 19. Number eight, you will await God's judgment of the earth and the end of the tribulation, and you will be bodily resurrected to reign and to judge with Christ for a thousand years, Revelation 20. Number nine, you'll witness the justice of God, that all those things, all the corruption, all the abuse of children, all the evil, you will see the judgment of Satan, angels, and the wicked dead at the great white throne. And then number 10, you will witness a new heaven coming down on a new earth, Revelation 21, one and following, where there will be no sorrow, no sadness, that you will not live by faith, you will see him, you will be transformed, uh, we will have a new earth, there will be cities, it says there'll be kings, there'll be nations, uh, they will bring the glory into the cities, so there's commerce, 
we will be experiencing what God originally intended in Genesis 1 and 2. But get this, we don't lose our memory. We will have the perspective of redemption. The living Christ, we will see in his resurrected body the holes in his hands. We will understand the mercy of God, and we will have uh, an infinite beginning of uh, time and succession to learn and grow and become all that God made us to become. It's a pretty exciting uh, thing to think of. Wow, that that is exciting just listening. Um, you know, and it, it brings up, a, it rem- reminds me of that question that you bring up in your book is you ask the readers, if you could choose to go to heaven today or to live 10 more years, which would you choose? And, and I'm curious, what's, what's your answer to that? You know, I honestly, um, I would have to say, I'm not in the category at all, but I feel a lot like the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, where he said, to depart is very much better, and I don't know which to choose, but there's more need now for me to remain for ministry. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, About 97 to 98% of all the people of 8 million in San Francisco, San Jose, and Oakland area do not have a personal relationship with Christ. I live in the most multicultural city in America, uh, in the most educated city in America, with the greatest technology on the face of the earth. And God has placed us here, and I'm watching him work in ways that um, I would like to see many, many, many more people be in heaven. And uh, if the Lord would allow, I'd like to stick around and be a part of that before I get to go. If I just had to choose based on uh, what's the best deal for me, uh, heaven is uh, hands down the best place, best timing is now. Uh, when I look at what's happening and when I see the amazing, amazing life change that occurs and the hope that occurs in people's lives, uh, when they understand who Jesus is and really walk with him, I'm just going to ask for our Lord, um, your timing's best, but let me stay around for a little bit longer to do what I'm doing. And it does. It seems like that one of the things that, that a proper understanding of heaven does is it changes our perspective on death. I often hear um, you Christians who, who it seems like they mourn the same way as everybody else. And talk about how, as you've been preparing this sermon series and book, um, has it shifted your perspective on death? And should it do that? What really has, and you know, this isn't hypothetical. We're, you know, you're you're talking to church leaders, and and those are pastors and church leaders. About 35 days ago, I uh, I buried a young man, 30 years old, who had just come to Christ, but had a a horrendous uh, drug situation, multiple rehabs, and had really got on a good path, and then tragically died. So 99% of all of his friends were unbelievers, and his dad is one of my closest friends. You know, his dad's sort of a rough and tough. He was a college star athlete and uh, owns and runs a construction company. Not the kind, I mean, awesome guy, but not the kind of guy that reads a lot of books. And, um, you know, we're really close. And it was a very painful time. And I can tell you that uh, his dad played the video of his baptism four months earlier that I had the privilege of doing in our church with about five or 600 of all of his friends that didn't know the Lord. And they stuck around. I've never seen this happen for over three hours to talk about what they just saw because their experience with Christianity and Christians had been, Oh, I thought it was just a bunch of rules or I thought it was people that yelled at you on TV or I thought it was people that just wanted your money. And, and this Ricky, I mean, we knew him. He, he was one of those guys that had that wow factor. Everyone wanted to be around him and, and just had all these friends and cared about people. And, and, and my point is, 
when your closest friend or your mom or your dad or one of your kids, we've got two other close friends with stage four cancer. My friend and I talk every day. And uh, he read this book. He goes, it's the first book I've read since high school. Well, he, I had to read some in college, but he was a quarterback at a big school. So I'm not sure how much he read there. And, uh, and like he just said, you know what I hang on to? I realize this is hard for me, but I know what my son is experiencing. And I know what he went through. And it does change your perspective. So it not only gives hope, it, it, the grief doesn't go away. But uh, it's not a loss where there's an emptiness. It's not a loss like, and he knows not only what his son is experiencing, he knows what they will experience together. And, and I think it's kind of like my dad, Andrew. If as, as church leaders, if the people in our churches know there's this vague, ethereal, white robes, smoky white clouds, and I guess it's a long church service, and, and if that's the hope we're offering, then you can see why the world system sucks us in. You know, I mean, if, if, if that's what the future is, uh, you know, like I kiddingly uh, say in the book, most people when asked, would you like two weeks all expenses paid in Hawaii or go to heaven? Most people are going to choose Hawaii. Or I talked to single people and, you know, who said, you know, I really love the Lord and, you know, I want to go to heaven, but I haven't had sex yet. I mean, heaven can't be half as good as sex. You know, I mean, it, mm. uh, Hawaii's great and sex is great, but that mindset among believers tells me that we really have a very uh, uneducated and uninformed view of heaven, and therefore it doesn't hold the kind of hope that apparently Jesus thought it would and did, because that's the last thing he shared in John 14 with those late teenage 20-something guys that changed the world. Mm. Your response reminds me of something that uh, a professor taught us in seminary. Um, and he was talking, we were, we were te- learning how to do weddings and funerals. And he, he said that he actually preferred funerals because that was a time when people came hungry for the gospel, like because of what had happened, that it puts the soul in a, in a, in a place, especially those who don't know Christ yet in this, I'm hungry. I, I'm, I'm feeling this need and that he loved the opportunity to go and, and apply the gospel in that in that time. So as you do funerals, is there something that you would share with our listeners about how to incorporate the hope of heaven in the gospel presentation that they might do at a funeral? Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I, I've obviously done a lot of uh, funerals, and I agree with you. I, I think it's one of the most opportune times. I think what I would say is just be very careful. We don't preach at people. Uh, I mean— I, when I, that funeral, I've never been to one where there was so, I mean, maybe there was five Christians in the room. I'm not sure. And uh, you could tell from people, I mean, they were looking around and they hadn't been to church or ever, either 30 years, 40 years, whatever. And so I think two or three things. One is, I think you have to be honest because we do a lot of, um, a lot of fakey stuff that is disingenuous. So this young man died under tragic circumstances, and they're the kind that everyone wants to gloss over. So I hit it head on. This is how he died. In a weak moment, this is what happened. But this is his life, and this is his hope, and it's not based on this weak moment and what happened. I think the second thing is not preaching at people and saying is, God loves us. This is his plan. This is desire. And you can tell the story of the person, especially if they're a believer, but tell the whole story. I mean, I've been to, I mean, I've been to memorial services or funerals where everyone knows this person, you know, their character was far from, and, you know, you hear these glowing stories and, you know, you're sitting there going, now, is, 
like, am I at the wrong place? Because the person they're describing is not even close to the person that we all knew. And so I think being authentic and honest, and then I think being bold and not being bold as in coming after or at people, but being bold to realize we're all going to die. This is a moment. We're all here. We all had a plan. Our, our schedules are full, but we're all here because this person mattered to us. And you know what? We're all going to face exactly what, in this case, this young man faced. God wants you to know. And then you share the gospel lovingly and clearly. And then I, I talked about what the hope of heaven is very specifically. And, and what you find is, um, you know, the one of the, my friends, uh, his son died, but one of his buddies owns a pizza place. And he just said, you know what, this, I, I want to serve people. So I was like, 70 pizzas and we had this big open area I, you know i've been to funerals you know eat pizza cry a little bit hug the guy and leave that didn't happen because partly none of these people were church they didn't know there was a protocol mm. they stuck around for over three hours and i had people come up to me and people come up to my friend and it and they they told me stuff i thought have you told your therapist this yet but what happened was they felt and experienced a place where the real issues are life and it was safe we were real with the hard stuff. We were open and they understood a God of grace and they wanted to know more. I think at last count, we have about 10 families coming to our church now that were at that memorial service. And part of it was too, no hard sell, investigate this. God cares about you. And, and you know, I even said, look, I'm the guy at the back. There's a free Bible you owe it to yourself to explore this God that loves you. And people walk up to me. I mean, say, oh, are you the guy that gives away the free Bibles? I want to, God really cares. I mean, it was an, I think we really underestimate exactly what your professor said, how hungry people are mm. when faced with the reality of life and death and eternity. And Jip, when, when somebody comes to you, and I would think in a lot of, you know, as you're ministering, especially in a funeral like that, that there would be a lot of people that as they, as their eyes are open to the, the gospel, that there there's kind of this uh, moment of mourning for family members and friends who who died not not knowing uh, Jesus. And so, what counsel do you give to people who who come and and you know are upset or you know fearful that people that they love you know might not be headed to heaven? I think you nailed one of the hardest situations any church leader, any pastor ever faces, and the temptation is to say something squishy. And how do you be loving? And so, I, you know, just for me personally, with my most empathetic voices, one is only God knows for sure where people were at in their final moments, what was happening in their heart, what they understood, etc. Um, but here's what I can tell you is, if indeed your mom, your dad, your closest friend has uh, died and has rejected God and stiff-armed God. And as a result, God has honored their decision to reject him and never want to be around him. If in fact that's true, I can tell you this for certain, that their greatest desire would be for you not to follow in their footsteps. Um, you know, it's the picture in Luke 11 of Lazarus and the rich man, please send someone to my brothers. What I want you to know is, is that, you know, this idea that you being with them where they are, if in fact that is true, only God knows for sure. You know, the thief on the cross made a, a confession at the very end of his life. But the lifestyle and things would appear, I hear what you're saying. 
And so that's the only thing I can say. So really, the only thing you can control is how you're going to respond. And I can tell you that God longs for, he doesn't desire that anyone should perish, but all would come to eternal life, number one. And number two, the testimony of your lost loved one, they would scream and just say, please receive the gift. I didn't. I want you to. And that's the only way. And I know how to deal with that, where there's really intellectual integrity, uh, because I, I think things like, well, no one really knows. And um, the other part, and you know, just add this is, and I think as, as church leaders, we just have to just pause. How many times of people whose life have been completely far from God, rejection of God in every way, and you'll go to memorial service and a bunch of people get, oh, he's in a better place. She's in a better place. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, I mean, the hypocrisy of sort of rejecting God and then sort of the, the era of our day of um, everybody's okay in every way because we sort of like fairies and genies make up our own theology on the spot to make us feel emotionally better. And I think we have an obligation to very gently pierce through that and, um, and communicate what the gospel says. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Wanting to hold the truth very carefully there, um, even as we're ministering to people that are hurting, and and I, I think you 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 kind of manage that tension really well in your response. Um, Chip, is there is there a place in this uh, description in this Bible of heaven that is your favorite? Yeah, I you know what I think my my very favorite. Uh, this will sound funny, is um, the command and the. Uh, sort of the, the game plan God gave in the garden, because I realized that was the mandate. And then I, then I skipped from there uh, to Revelation 21 and 22, where things are made right, but there is a very concrete place where um, my gifts and my role and what God made me to do uh, will get to be played out in action, not floating around in some sort of spiritual body, but on a real concrete earth in the presence of God with people that I love in a perfect environment of fulfilling what God made me to do. That is a very exciting prospect for me. That's exciting for me too. And I think that's going to bless so many of our listeners. Thank you so much for your time. Chip, is there a place, I know that you have a, a website where pastors and ministry leaders can go and get more resources that accompany um, your teachings here. Um, is, is there a website that they can go to? Yeah, there's a landing page they've created for this particular topic called realheaventhebook.com. Of course, all one word, realheaventhebook.com. And um, so, yeah, the book, you can get a chapter. There's small group resources there if you want to do it in your church. We've had a great response of people studying it. And then I have sermon notes for all my messages. And um, for those that are interested, and, you know, it says by permission, and you have my permission, church leaders and pastors, Mm -hmm. but livingontheedge.org, any series I've done, including the one on heaven, there's a place to click. It says message notes. You can download those for free. And, you know, just any parts of those that would help you in preparing messages, uh, I would be honored for you to use them to help your, your people. That's great. Well, we'll link to that, though, both those websites uh, so that people can find those easily in the show notes for this episode. Chip, thank you so much. What a, what a rich conversation, one that I will listen back to anytime I need. My heart needs the encouragement of uh, thinking about heaven. I think you've just taken us on a journey there and 
just, yeah, my heart is full after just a quick half hour conversation. Thanks, Andrew. My privilege. And you guys keep pressing ahead. And I pray, pray the church becomes the church like never before. And God's got a great future and he's got a great, great opportunity for us to make a difference now. Thanks so much to Chip Ingram for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it helps us if you take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes and consider sending this episode to someone you know that might benefit from listening to it. Also, you can download the show notes of this episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In the show notes, we always put resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guests' top content on churchleaders.com. As always, if you have ideas for how we can improve the podcast or guests that we should talk to, you can email me directly at podcast at churchleaders.com. Those emails come right into my inbox, and I always enjoy hearing from you, our listeners. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.